And, uh, you know, all, all weekend I've just been watching Alan and his awesome, awesome, awesome team of volunteers running around, putting out fires. Let's give them a hand. These guys are awesome. You guys have a great team. You guys are so lucky to have the leaders that you have. Well, tonight we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, so turn there with me. Matthew 28. And let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. God, we ask that your spirit would fall on this place tonight and that you would speak in a mighty way and a fresh way. That you, God, would speak exactly what we need to hear. That you would help us rise to the occasion to follow you and your great kingdom. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. So, I think that last words tend to be pretty important. Many people say their last requests with their last words. As they're dying, they look up at the people around them and they tell them, please do this thing in my name. You know, when I was a kid going to camps, I never wanted to die, but I always thought there was a slight possibility I might get mauled by a bear or one of the volunteers. And uh, if that happened, I always thought it'd be great to mess with my friends. You know, so just imagine... You know, you get mauled, and you're there, and you're lying on the ground. This is what I would do. My friends would come up to me, and they'd say, Aaron, what can we do for you, man? And I'm like, these are my last words. Obey them, follow them. They'd be like, anything, man, anything for you, Aaron. So I'd look at my friend Steve, and I'd be like, Steve, Stephen, Stevan, here's what I want you to do. Anything for you, man. I want you to paint your body blue. Put on a dress and run down the street streaming, I'm a jelly bean. And then I looked at Jeffrey and I said, oh Jeff, sweet, sweet Jeffrey. You've always been so kind. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to open up an orphanage for baby turtles. Because without fathers, how will they ever come out of their shells? So lame. So lame. Last words are actually serious business, though. Because when someone who is important to you dies, I mean, you want to be there to hear their last words. You want to carry out their wishes. You know, I wonder how many of you know Jesus' last words. How many think you know Jesus' last words? Yeah? On the cross, right? Jesus called out with a loud voice, Luke 23, verse 46. With the words of Psalm 31.5, Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. And that's awesome. It's Jesus on the cross and he's saying his last words and he takes his last breath. But remember, Jesus actually got a do-over. Jesus came back. So he gets another set of last words. And those words are found in the Great Commission. We're in Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at verse 16. This is Jesus as he's on a mountaintop with his followers and he's floating back up to heaven and he's leaving them with his final commandments for them. So look at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Thomas. Doubting Thomas. 
Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, the king. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is amazing. For Jesus' disciples, this was serious business. The last words of Jesus, it was important to them and it should be important to us. So let's break it down. What do these words mean? Look at verse 19. Read verse 19 with me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It's a great commission. What is a disciple? Well, let's look at the word disciple. What does it mean? In, in the Hebrew, when they talked about disciples, it was somebody who followed an ancient rabbi. You see, a disciple was a follower. You see, some people are fans of Jesus. Some people just like to like the things that Jesus say, like you would like an Instagram status or a Facebook status or a Twitter tweet. Who says a Twitter? Who says that? Oh, I was reading a Twitter tweet the other day. Sound like a million years old. See, a disciple was a follower. It wasn't just somebody who liked someone. It was someone who followed with their whole life. You see, the Hebrew lads, the young men, they looked up to these teachers, the rabbis, the one who knew the scriptures, the ones who taught the Bible of their day. And they, it was every Hebrew boy's dream to grow up and follow a rabbi. They would literally not just sit and hear messages on Sunday. They would travel with them every day. They would be like, teacher, I will follow you. I will go where you go. I will listen to what you say. I'm going to write it down and then I'm going to actually apply it to my life. It'd be like if you loved your math teacher so much, you were like, Mr. Flenderson, I'm just going to follow you around all day and I'm going to go to your house and learn math problems from you 24-7. And he's like, no, that's the last thing I want. Don't do that. I'm going to jump off a cliff if you do. Um, your math, please don't do that to your math teacher. But that's what it was. It was a follower, someone who was so hardcore that they were like, I am going to live out the teachings of my rabbi. You know, there's a lot of people who are fans of Jesus, but how many of us are followers of Jesus? We don't just like the things that he says, we love the things that he says, and we do the things that he says. Are you with me? You are the next generation of disciples. The Bible does not end with the book of Acts and the epistles. The Bible ends with the book of Revelation, which is in the future, which means you and I are in between. We are the next pages of the story of the Bible. You are called to be a generation of disciples. You know, the world is confused on what the word Christian actually means. For some people, Christian just means like, I go to church on Sundays or maybe just Christmas and Easter. I don't know, I'm a good person. I said a prayer one time, so I guess I'm a Christian. Literally, 80% of Americans say that they are Christians. But the term Christian didn't come from living comfortably in a Christian country. It came from actually a time of persecution. The word Christian was given to the persecuted church as an insult. The Roman aristocrats would look at these Jesus followers and they would say, look at these little Christians. Basically what the word Christian meant was a Jesus mini-me, a little Christ. It was a put down, but it stuck because the church said, yes, we are little Christ. We imitate Jesus. That's who we are. A follower is a disciple. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, what, the, what were the disciples all about? Fishers of men. 
I think it's so funny in the scriptures because Jesus kind of sounds psycho. <laughs> like if you really think about it, he's like, come and follow me and I shall make you fishers of men. Like think about how weird that would be. You're a fisherman and you're like got the net, you know, and you and the boys are working down the docks. Oh, pass me the net, Matthew. Oh, throw it over there. Oh, we got some nice trout. Salmon. <laughs> and then Jesus shows up and he's like, hello. Hello there, Anakin. Oh, I slipped into Obi-Wan Kenobi there. I always just picture Jesus as Ewan McGregor. Um, but he comes, like, ah, oh, hello. I see you're fishing, but what if we fished for men? Ha-ha! <laughs> it's like, you're crazy. Like, I'm not going to go fish for men. I eat fish, not people. I'm not a cannibal, Jesus. But what he's saying is, we're going to go and catch people and bring them into the kingdom. We're going to draw people into what God is doing. He says, go and make disciples. You know, the spiritual life is, it's this great, grand battle for souls. There's a war that's been going on since the beginning of time of good versus evil. It's every action movie that you've ever watched. And you watch and you go, I want to be a part of it. We're actually called to be a part of it. We're called to be a part of that story. The great battle of good versus evil. But you know what? A lot of times we're like a soldier with amnesia. Imagine you're a soldier and, and all of a sudden you, you wake up and you're like, what am I doing here? You're on the battlefield and there's grenades going off and bullets flying by. and You've got a gun in your hand and someone's yelling at you to go fight. And you're like, I don't know how I got here. I don't know who I am. I don't know what this war is about. I don't know what I'm fighting for. What am I doing here? A lot of Christian kids are like that, you see, because they're born into the church. So they're born onto the battlefield, but they don't understand what's going on. And someone hands them a Bible and says, go follow Jesus. But they really, they really feel like this is my parents' faith. This isn't my thing. I'm just at this church camp to really honestly make my parents happy. I'm just here to do what's expected of me. I'm just here to get by and, and go through my life as a Christian, but I can't wait till I graduate and I can go do my own thing and be who I really want to be. That's where a lot of Christians are. They don't realize that they have been called into the great mission, not forced into it, but called into something greater than themselves. What is your mission? Do you have a mission? You know, here's the amazing thing that gets me so excited You see, I grew up in the church. I was a pastor's kid, and my parents were amazing Christians. But I just grew up, not from my parents, but just from people around me with this idea that my life as a Christian was all about what I did for God. And God was kind of this imposing figure who, you know, was looking at me and my sin, and he's like, I saved you, so now you owe me. And he looked at me and he said, here's what you got to do. You've got to live for me. You've got to serve me. You've got to do things for me. You've got to go out and change the world for me. You've got to read your Bible for me. You've got to pray for me. But listen, guys, the Christian life is not about what we do for the king. It's about what we do with the king. The king is not some king who sends his soldiers out on the battlefield and then sits in his ivory tower and watches the fight. No, he's on the front lines. He's the one picking us up when we fall, healing us when we're wounded. He's the one doing most of the heavy lifting. And he invites his children along and says, come be with me. Church kids, 
if you're here today and you're a church kid your whole life and you were born in the church and raised in the church or maybe you just got saved a month ago, whoever you are, we are called to advance the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God, like I said in the first message, is not something that we're waiting for, some magical cloud land and it's like, oh man, I'm saved but I gotta go wait for the rapture and hide in my rapture bunker and stock up on my guns and my ammunition and my water bottles because Y2K is coming. That, that was a thing. That was a real thing. No one here gets that reference because you're young but um, it was a real thing. Look it up. Anyway, I believe in the rapture. I believe God is coming back. But he did not say for us to hide out and wait for him to come back. He said, there are things for us to do now. It is time for us to serve the Lord and move his kingdom forward. So that is our mission. To do all that we can for the kingdom of God. To build the kingdom. God's purpose for your life what is it? What is God's purpose for my life? That's what everyone asks. That's what I used to think. I was like, what's my purpose? I don't know. I felt like I didn't have a purpose. I didn't really have any friends in high school. I I was a nerd, and all of my friends moved away at the end of junior high, and I felt aimless, and no girl wanted anything to do with me, and literally all I had going for me was doing cartoon voices. I would just, you know, walk up to people, and I'd be like, like, wow, Scoob, like it sure is a creepy old mansion, huh? <laughs> yeah, you're clapping, but it doesn't get you a lot of dates in high school. <laughs> okay? So, <laughs> I was like, what's my purpose? And I thought I was going to go Hollywood and do all this stuff. And, 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 and I, I just, the, the Lord was always saying, Aaron, I have called you. No matter what your job ends up being, that's your vocation. That's your job. Your mission is to serve me to win people to Christ, to encourage people, to build people up. No matter what you end up doing for your career, your mission doesn't change. Serve Jesus and the kingdom. You don't have to grow up and work at a church. You can go out in the world and be a believer who loves the Lord and works for his kingdom, not our own. Well, you might be here and think, what about me? I'm just a kid. I mean, how could I amount? How could I measure up? Listen, you can't, but he can And he calls you and says, I will do it with you. Not do it for me. I want to do it with you. You might say, I can't serve God. I'm a sinner. And so often, we walk around with this baggage and this guilt of our sin, and and it pushes us away from God. We think, I've got to get my life together, and then I can follow Jesus. But guys, your sin should never push you away from God. Your sin should only push you to him and reveal your need for him. And we say, no, I'll get my life together and then I'll follow Jesus. That's, is that what happened with the disciples in the Bible? It's so interesting to me that Jesus, he's in heaven and he's looking at his broken world and he's thinking, I'm gonna save it. Time to assemble a team. And when we think of superhero teams, you know, we think of the Avengers and, and Captain America and Iron Man and all these great, like we think of the best. So who's Jesus gonna pick to save the world? The best of the best, right? The smartest pastors, the most brilliant preachers, the most talented worship leaders with the skinniest skinny jeans and the longest flowing hair and the biggest beard. Those guys are the the ones that God is going to pick. No. He goes down to the docks and gets a bunch of filthy, stinking, swearing, smelly fishermen who their lives are not together. He gets Simon the Zealot, a political revolutionary trying to overthrow the government by killing Romans, and Matthew, a tax collector who steals from his own people, shady people like Judas, broken people like Peter. He gets those guys, the losers, 
It's us. It's us. It's humanity. Brokenness. Look, you guys are reading the, the, uh, the year of biblical literacy. You guys are going through the Old Testament. All the people we think of as Bible heroes, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, how many times do we watch them fail? How many times do we watch them not measure up? God picks broken people in his plan of restoration. There are no perfect Christians. God wants to choose you to follow right now. Not, I'll get my life together and then I'll follow Jesus. He says, no, you follow me now and watch as I get your life together as you're following me. Your life won't come together unless you're following Jesus. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, Peter writes this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A chosen generation, a holy people. And you may be like, dude, I'm not holy. I'm not holy, dude. I'm not set apart. No way. Holiness. Like I said, we think of it as be perfect as I am perfect, but it's be set apart. You can't be perfect, but you can be set apart by the perfect one. I've got this tea kettle in my office. I love tea. I love making tea all year long. I just... I just heat up that tea. I actually put the tea bag in the little kettle and I cook the tea in it. My wife's like, you'll ruin the pot. Don't do that. And I'm like, ha it's my tea pot, so leave me alone. Uh, <laughs> I love her, but yeah. Anyway, um, it's my teapot, okay? So <laughs> I don't care if it smells. Anyway, um, so I love tea and I have a teapot in my office and one day I came and the teapot was not filled with water It was filled with Diet Coke and light bulbs. (laughs) Some junior high kids came in my office and thought it would be hilarious to fill my tea kettle with Diet Coke and light bulbs. What is the point of the story you're asking? See, the teapot was holy for tea. It was set apart for tea. And those stinking middle schoolers defiled the holiness of my tea kettle. And I called down fire from heaven on their... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Listen. The call to be holy, it's intimidating. It really is because you know your sin. You know what you've done. You know the things that you've done that no one else knows and you hope will never find out because you're so ashamed. And we carry these things with us and, and, and we think, I can't do it. Because here's the thing. The call to be holy, it sounds like a lot of responsibility. And how many of you guys just love responsibility? Anybody? Yeah, like a few people, but not most of you. <laughs> That, like, responsibility is, like, the bane of high school existence. It's like, please just let me alone and let me do me. Just let me be myself. Like, please don't give me another paper or another chore or another job or another thing to do. Like, we, we don't want responsibility. And it's, we struggle with responsibility. As a Christian, it's so hard because it's like, hey, listen, you've got to serve the Lord and you've got to follow him and you've got to read your Bible and you've got to do this biblical reading plan and you've got to be an awesome boyfriend who doesn't do stuff with his girlfriend. You've got to be just a woman after God's own heart and and you've got to listen to your parents and you've got to do your homework and all of this stuff. It sounds like so much responsibility. It could feel like a crushing weight at times. Is anyone with me? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I feel it too. Here's the reality. It's not about your responsibility. It's about your response to his ability. 
Okay, let me say that again. It's not about your responsibility. It's about your response to his ability. See, this is what God is like. We picture God as like this big, strong guy. And our responsibility of like being a good person and serving the Lord and following Jesus, just picture it like this big boulder. And he comes over and he goes, hey, uh, (laughs) look what I can do. (laughs) Hey, why don't you pick this up? You can't do it? You sinner. That's what we think. But that's not Jesus. You know what Jesus does? He walks over and he lifts up that boulder and he goes, check me out. Picking up this boulder. Kronk, Emperor's New Groove, anybody? Isma. He lifts it up. Now you get it. So he lifts it up. Lifts it up. And he looks at you. And he doesn't say, no, you do it. No, he says, hey. Hey, uh, why don't you just put your hand where mine is? Just put your hand right there. And he's lifting it. And all you're doing is you're just responding to his ability and you're lifting up your hand too. There's so much that God has called you to do. And if you think of it as this is my responsibility, I have to do this, you'll never do it. But if you realize that God is already doing it and he just wants to invite you along for the ride, it's so much better. Don't feel like a failure, man. Failure stinks. I remember one time, I failed so bad. I've had so many failures. I remember uh, we went on this field trip to this th- place called the Star of India. It was in San Diego, this ship out in the middle of the ocean. And it was like kind of this thing where it was a reenactment where we were supposed to all pretend it was pirate times. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you've ever been on a field trip like that. So we go on the Star of India and, and we're there and um, there's a crew, you know, there's a uh, captain, a first mate, a cook, a uh, guy who swabs the poop deck, you know, and, and the captain was this mean old Irish lady with like a squinty eye. She's like, hey, I'm the captain. Why uh, don't you know? And, and, and I remember she liked me for some reason. She's, I'm like this little eighth grade guy, little chubby guy with a little afro. And, 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 and she looked at me and she's like, oh, lad, I see something in you. I'm going to give you the hammer of responsibility. And with this hammer, lad, comes chores and tasks and things you must do. And she hands me this hammer of responsibility and makes me like the team captain. And I, I just like, she had me a hammer. Like as soon as she said hammer of responsibility, I didn't listen to any of the other things that she said. So she handed me the, I'm like, oh my gosh, a hammer. It's like Super Mario Brothers with the hammer guys. Like, I was just freaked out. And I missed all the things she told me to do. So, you know, two days go by that we're on this ship. I don't do any of the stuff she told me to do. So she calls me up in front of my entire class, including my crush. And I come up and she goes, oh, lad, you failed. You're a horrible disgrace for a pirate, lad. You didn't do anything I asked you. Give me back the hammer. And she takes the hammer from me and she hands it to my arch enemy at the time, this guy named Michael. Michael. My brother Michael. Gave it to him. I turn around to face my class. I'm looking at him. I'm walking down the stairs. Just shame all over my face. Everyone's looking at me, just shaking their head. My crush is laughing at me. No joke. I'm not making this up. I'm not lying. I'm not embellishing this story. A lonely seagull flies yonder poops all over my head. (laughs) No joke. One of the worst moments of my life. And we can feel like that. We can feel like failures constantly, but we have to remember we're always going to be failures. We should just embrace it and say, Jesus, I can't do it, so I need you to do it for me and do it through me. See, God has set you apart for his purposes. And so many times we want to be set apart for our own purposes. 
So many times we want to build our own kingdom, and so many times we just want to live for the flesh. You know, I just want to say this to your generation because I care about your generation so much, and I love you guys so much collectively as a generation and the people in this room. You need to know that Satan's got his eye on this generation. You see, what your generation craves is anonymity, which means you want to be anonymous. We're the Snapchat generation. And that means we want things the way that we want them, and we don't want people to be able to hold us accountable. We want to do what we want to do, and then it's gone, and then no one can see it, and there's no evidence. We want to clear the browser history. We want to refresh the web pages. We want to delete everything. And our God is really privacy and freedom. We want our own way. No adults to tell us what to do. No counselors, no pastors who can speak into our life. We just want to be free. We just want to be free. And that's not what God calls us to. God calls us to community. He calls us to be in a group of people who can hold us accountable. To be in a group of people who can say, hey, you're wrong and I'm telling you that because I love you and I want to see you grow. But so many of you guys won't accept that. And I can say that because I'm the guest speaker and you don't have to deal with me. But there's counselors here at this camp who want to be that for you. They want to be your friends. They want to help you. Let them in. Stop hiding sin. Be honest and open. We all mess up. Because when you live for anonymity, when you live for hiding your secret self and only showing the world your curated best version of you and hiding everything else, what we really end up doing is what Adam and Eve did You see, the desire to be anonymous is the gateway to letting the power of hell into our life because what did Adam and Eve crave in the garden? They had community. They had God, a God who listened to them, a God who loved them, a God who looked out for them, and a God who held them accountable. And Satan said, you don't need that. You be yourself. You do what you want to do. You go your own way. Don't listen to God. You don't need him. You can be powerful if you only listen to me. And they became corrupted. And we became corrupted. And I know I'm corrupted. And yet God invites me, us, we, the broken, to be with him. He invites us into his story. Not as a supporting background character, but as main characters. Isn't that amazing? We're the children of God. We have a centerpiece role. We're not props to be used. We're precious sons and daughters. And Jesus is a master storyteller, and he's inviting you this camp, this week, be with him. Not worship Jesus for him, worship with him. Not love Jesus for him, but love Jesus with him. Serve with him, walk with him. What about reach the lost for him? No, reach the lost with him. It's amazing that he wants to involve you and me in the redemption of humankind. Have you ever considered that? You're reading right now these early Old Testament stories. It's all about God's plan for salvation, his plan to save the world. And he invites Abraham. Abraham, come be a part of this. Moses, come be a part of this. David, come be a part of this. I'm saving the world and I want to do it with you. He's inviting you 
to be a part of the story of the redemption of all humankind. But we say that's too scary. Someone else should do it. That's Billy Graham's job. That's Greg Laurie's job. Levi Lusco has it covered. I, I can't get anyone to follow Jesus. I'm just a high schooler. Guys, if that's your thought, you are being robbed of the glory God has in store for you. I want to picture something right now. Right now we're in this big chapel, okay? Just imagine this room. We're here and it's, you know, we're in this room and it just a, a wave of light floods over us and it fills the room and it's just, it feels beautiful and it's glowing and it's amazing and it's warm. And you're like, this feels so nice. I just, I love this. I love this. And you start thinking, man, it would be so great if the people outside of this room could experience this warmth and this glow and this heat. The people out there in the cold, it'd be so great if they could experience that. And then you look around and you start to notice something strange. You see, the light isn't coming from the outside. It's coming from within. All the windows are actually boarded up. The doors are actually closed and sealed. You're like, that's strange. And you start to go and you start to open the door and and someone stands up and shouts, don't open that door. Don't open that door. Keep the light inside. Keep the darkness out. You see, that's a lot of the way that we think in the church at times. We want to get you here. We want to get you to church. We want to get you to youth group. We just want to get people to come to us. And we say, don't go out in the world. Stay away from there. Don't let the darkness in. If the darkness comes in, it'll destroy us. When has that ever happened? When has darkness ever destroyed light? When have you ever been outside and you had a flashlight and someone came out with a dark light and was like, ha and like hit the button and all of a sudden your flashlight's gone. Light defeats darkness by going out into the darkness and defeating it. That's what we're called to do. But what, you know what we say as Christians? We say, the world is a bad, scary place. It's a scary place. The world is so scary. I saw that guy over there smoking a cigarette. I don't think he's saved. <laughs> That's what I thought back in the 90s. Um, so I remember one time I was out going for a jog, and I, I met these two moms from my church. And they saw me and they're like, oh, Pastor Aaron, can we talk to you just for a minute? And I was like, oh, yeah, what's up, moms? And they're like, Pastor Aaron, we're just so glad our daughters go to your youth group and not that youth group down the street. And I was like, oh, really? Why is that? Well, your youth group, everyone's just so spiritual. Everyone's just so holy. Have you seen? Everyone's just so great there. But that youth group down the street, my daughter went there and some kids said swear words. They said naughty words, Pastor Aaron. (sighs) Glad my daughters go to your youth group where everyone's perfect. You know what I said? I said, you know what? I want those cussing kids at my youth group. Really, I want them there. I want them to come and be rough around the edges and filthy and messed up and come and get restored and changed by Jesus. I want our perfect kids, which they're not, I can tell you. They're all sinners. I want, they are. It's just more, yeah, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. But I want my kids who've been trained up in the way of Jesus to be able to reach out to those who haven't been trained in the way of Jesus. I want my youth group and I want your youth group to be a place where people can come and not know anything about Jesus and be rough around the edges and be welcomed into a community of light and love where the gospel can change their life. You know, my church's vision is upreach, inreach, and outreach. Many churches lack outreach because many churches are all about comfort. 
It's all about fun and entertainment for the members. It's all about just let's have potlucks and home fellowships and events and games for us and things that make us feel good, but nothing to really reach the lost. And wouldn't that be crazy? Wouldn't that be crazy if you were drowning and there's people with you drowning and Jesus shows up and he's got a life preserver and he throws it to you and you're like, thank you, Jesus, I was drowning. And he pulls you up on the shore and he looks at you and he goes, all right, now here's the life preserver. Now there's more people out there who need it. And you go, no, I'm good. And you just turn around, you're like, Jesus is like, what are you doing? And you're like, well, now that you saved me from drowning, I want to build a really comfortable life for myself here on this island. And you go and you're like, I'm going to build this hut for myself. I'm going to put a little cross on the top and a little Jesus fish in the back. And it's going to be my little comfortable Christian hut. Ooh, it's all about me. That's what we do. That's what we do. It's all about us. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, I was watching a YouTube video of a youth pastor and he got up on stage and he had this illustration. He was talking about how many people actually really care about the lost in their schools. How many people actually really care? And and, and on on a daily basis, you're sitting there at your schools and you're looking at the people and you're thinking, if they don't have Jesus, they're going to hell. How many people really think about that and are not just focused on their own life and their own grades and their own things? And and while he did that, he had this fishbowl on the stage with two goldfish swimming around. And he's talking about it. And he's saying, how many people would care? And then in the middle of his message, he takes a net and he scoops up the goldfish and he throws them into the crowd. And he says, save the goldfish. And everyone gets up and is like, oh! And they're freaking out. They're like, we got to save And like one kid stepped on one of the goldfish, so it died. Um, but they got one of the goldfish and everyone was like, yes, we got it. And they put it back in the bowl and everyone clapped and cheered. And they're like, we saved the goldfish. And the pastor was like, when was the last time you cared as much about your fellow students in your school as you did for those goldfish. That just, that just hit me. That hit me. I was like, oh, snap. Because I'm a part of it too. We've got a consumer church culture that's all about us. When our focus is how can I be blessed by church, something is fundamentally wrong. There's a guy named Keith Green, one of my favorite musicians from the 70s. Guy with a huge beard, uh, big old afro. He died when he was actually Alan's age in a plane crash. Just amazing follower of Jesus, man of God, wrote some amazing music. Look it up on YouTube. You, you're, you will be blessed. I'm going to read you guys the lyrics. I'm going to recite the lyrics to an amazing song called Asleep in the Light that has changed my life. Here's a song from Keith Green. He says, Do you see, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care, don't you care? Are you gonna let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. You know that's all I ever hear. No one aches, no one hurts, no one even sheds one tear. But he cries, he weeps, he bleeds, and he cares for your needs, and you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Can't you see it's such sin? The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can we be so dead when we've been so well fed? It's gnarly, but that song gets me every time. And we think of the church as this fortress to keep us safe. But the church is not a fortress. It's not this place to keep us safe from the bad, scary world. The church is not a fortress. Our God is a mighty fortress, the psalm says. No, the church is a training ground for the battle outside these walls. It's not a fortress. It's a place of worship, a place of comfort, and a place of training for the battle. Anyone here play sports? Sports people? Sports guys? Sports girls? 
I am not a sports person at all. I get invited to FCA to speak, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I'm like, yeah, so this was my, like, they're like, Aaron, what's your athletic background? And I was like, uh, I was on the basketball team in eighth grade, and I touched the ball twice the entire season. Spent most of my time on the bench reading a comic book, and, um, yeah, and then football, I showed up for my first day of practice, and my coach was like, run! And I was like, no, and I left. <laughs> like, no. Sorry, dude, you can run. <laughs> you look like you could lose a few pounds, coach, <laughs> but <laughs> not me. So anyway, for sports people, which I am not, I do have a sports illustration, okay? A lot of times at church, we think of church as game day, you know? Sunday, it's game day, man. I got to put on my Sunday shirt, my Sunday dress, my Sunday best. You know, I got to look good for those cute boys at youth group. <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking from a girl's perspective, not a guy. <laughs> I don't want to look cute for boys at youth group. <laughs> I've got to be happily married. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, we got, we got to look good. We got to be good. We got to be holy. Oh, man, all that stuff I did Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, Lord, I repent because it's church. And if I step into a church when I've sinned, you'll strike me dead, I think. I don't know. Uh, somewhere in the Old Testament, like, we think these things. Sunday's game day. I've got to get ready. It's youth group. I've got to get my Sunday best. Everything's got to be perfect. Listen, church is not game day. Church is the locker room speech. It's what it is. The rest of the week, that's game day. All the other days are game day. Church is the locker room speech. You get together and your head coach comes out, the, or, or your assistant coach, the youth pastor, comes out, and he's been talking to the head coach, God, and he pulls out the playbook, and he looks at it, and he says, look at these plays, let's study them. Okay, now let's go run them the rest of the week. How often do you take notes? How often do you take notes in youth group and go home and pray, Lord, how do I live this out? Or how often do you just listen and go, this is so good, he's telling so many jokes right now, this guy's so funny. Hey, what'd you learn at church today, Billy? Uh, Jesus? <laughs> classic youth group answer. So get ready for the game because when you come down from this mountain, game day is on. Let's talk about witnessing. Witnessing is super scary. Sharing your faith is super scary. The hope that we've been called to share is something that for some reason is super awkward and strange because culture looks down on Christians. People don't like Christians. We're not exactly super popular these days. You know, when I was a kid, I told everyone about Jesus. I was this little freak, and I'd be in the grocery cart. Do you know about Jesus? Do you know about Jesus? I'll tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus! Like, that was me as a little kid. But then when I became a teen, when I became a teen, how many of you guys, like, call yourself teen? Hello, I am a teen. <laughs> no one says that. When I became, you know, a teenager, when I was 12, 13, I started to realize how awkward I was, and I became awkward, and I was like, it's, it's oh, my voice is cracking. It's a little bit harder to talk about Jesus. Ah. And I remember just being embarrassed, embarrassed to talk about the Lord. People would ask me, what school do you go to? And I went, how many of you guys go to a Christian school? Yeah? I want complete honesty. How many of you guys have ever done this? <laughs> Someone asks you, hey, what school do you go to? And you go, oh, it's just this little school. Like, you wouldn't know it. <laughs> you don't say <laughs> the name of the school because it has the word Christian. And you're just like, oh, it's just this little you know, private school. I mean, <laughs> it's not a big deal. Guys, why are we so ashamed of the gospel? Now, here's my deal, okay? 
So I, I was a youth volunteer for many years. This is actually going to be my 11th year in youth ministry or 12th or something. And I, I've been doing it a long time. And, and I remember, you know, I was a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church. I went to a private Christian school. I was constantly around Christians. I had barely any Christian friends and absolutely no unsaved friends. And I remember, you know, just work, growing up and working at the church as a janitor and a graphics designer and then a youth pastor. And all that time, never really spending time with non-Christians. And now I'm a pastor and I'm teaching junior high kids. And I'm teaching through the book of John. And it's all about Jesus. And it's fantastic. I just, I love it. The gospel is so good. And then I get to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is all about, and now you have the Holy Spirit. So now you go into your neighborhoods and your schools and your villages. And you share the gospel. And you preach it. And you do it. And I'm looking at all these little 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. And I'm the adult. And I'm supposed to tell them to do this. And the Lord convicts me. And He's like, uh, Aaron, you don't practice what you preach. You don't do it. You don't preach the gospel. You don't talk to non-believers. You don't tell people about Jesus. And I'm like, but Lord, I'm a pastor. I tell people about Jesus every day. He's like, yeah, you help Christians with their Christianity, but do you make new disciples? Do you bring people to the Father? Do you invite them on the journey to follow Jesus? And honestly, my answer was no. I had to just admit it. And God told me, if you can't practice what you preach, then teach something different. Teach Leviticus, but then you got to go sacrifice a bunch of animals in your backyard. (laughs) Why is the pastor sacrificing a cat? (laughs) I think it's in Leviticus. (laughs) Okay, that makes sense. (laughs) So here's my journey. I I, I talked to the Lord. Me and the Lord talked it over, and I was like, Lord, I'm terrified to talk to non-believers. I'm really bold when I get up in front of my youth group, but to talk to strangers on the street about Jesus, that is terrifying. And the Lord was like, I will be with you. Trust me. Just be open. Just say like Jeremiah, here I am, Lord. Send me. So that's what I said. I, I just simp- I, I completely lacking confidence in myself. I just said, Lord, I need you and I can't do this without you. Please help me. So the Lord started to direct me. I started listening each week to his spirit. And I just said, Lord, whenever you tell me to go somewhere, I'll go. So one week he said, go down to Oceanside. It's a little beach town. So I go down to Oceanside, and I'm studying for Sunday on a Saturday, and I see this guy by the the street sign, and God says, that's the guy I want you to talk to. So I look at him, and I go, okay, I can try. So I walk over, and I look at the guy, and I'm like, sup? Because that's how we talk in California. Sup? And he looks at me, and he goes, hey, bro, can you buy me a beer? And I was like, I'm like, I'm a pastor. I didn't say that, but I was thinking, I'm a pastor. I don't know if I want to contribute to this guy's drunkenness, but I don't even know if he's going to get drunk. But I also don't have my wallet. Now I look like an irresponsible adult, and I look stupid, and I just was, like, fumbling. I'm like, I don't have my wallet. Sorry, dude. And he was like, ah, whatever, bro. And he walked away. <laughs> so he starts walking away. He's walking this way, and I'm walking this way. He sees me walk this way. You know, he sees me do the turn. So I'm walking, and I'm walking, and the Lord starts talking to me. He's like, that's the guy. And I'm like, no. He's not, because you see, he saw me go this way, and I saw him go that way, which means if I start following him, I'm going to look like a freak. And the Lord was like, be a freak for me, dude. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, I don't want to, but I turned, and I, so I start following him, and he looks behind, and he sees me, and he's like, Ugh. like <laughs> He starts walking faster. I catch up to him. I put my hand on his shoulder, and I'm like, bro. He's like, bro, what do you want, bro? I'm like, bro, I just want you to know that the Lord has a plan for your life and he loves you so much. And did you know that Jesus died for you and that you can be a part of God's kingdom if you just follow Jesus? 
And the guy looks at me and he's like, bruh, I think I really needed to hear that, bruh. And then he walked away. And I was like, oh, the Lord. That was crazy. A couple weeks later, God tells me again to go down to Oceanside. So I go down. And I, I'm like, all right, God, like, I guess it's time for round two. Who do you want me to talk to? I see this kid on rollerblades. He's down by all the skaters. This guy's a champ. He's just rollerblading it like it's 1989. He's going for it. And I look at him, and I'm like, okay, I guess that's the guy. I start walking towards him. Let's just pretend this is him. So I'm like, all right, going to preach the gospel to this guy. And then I chicken out, and I'm like, nope. And I turn, and he rollerblades off into the sunset. He's gone. He's gone. And I'm just like, I sit down and I'm like, Lord, I failed. I messed up. I screwed up. Oh, Lord. Oh, just give me another chance. Just, just give me another chance. What I, what I meant when I said that was, send me someone else, Lord, because I failed with this guy. You know what happened? The dude skates up next to me, sits down next to me and starts tying his skates and looks up and he starts a conversation with me. It's incredible. Like, I didn't mean for that to happen. I just prayed. The Lord did it. I was able to share Jesus with him. I remember another time I was at Albertsons shopping for a junior high home fellowship, getting supplies. Now, I am a very calm person. I honestly don't get mad ever. I'm super chill. I've had times in my office when I was a junior high pastor where literally, like, my office is in flames and, like, kids are swinging from chandeliers and breaking things and firing guns at me. And I'm just like, all right, guys, maybe we can just, like, stop doing this, maybe? I mean, I, I love you guys so much. I mean, you can light my office on fire. I don't care. Come here. Let me hug you. That's just... I'm just built that way. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, but one day, I got mad, really mad, really mad. I was running late to a junior high home fellowship. Now, normally that wouldn't make me mad. I'm just, you know, just make me annoyed. But I'm at the grocery store, and my dad calls me, and he's like, Aaron, you got a red light ticket. And I was like, I know. You see, I had gotten a ticket going to speak at a school, so serving Jesus, casualty on the job. Um, I went up to a red light. There was no one else around. I, I tell you, there was no other cars, no other people. I was just, it was a red light. And, and basically I didn't stop my car. I rolled through it and I made the turn, you know, super slow going like one mile an hour, but the camera got me. We've got these red light cameras in California everywhere. And it, it got me. And I was so mad at that. I was like, Lord, I'm serving you. And I got this red light ticket. Well, there's this guy in my church. Who's like, hey, uh, he sounds like Kronk actually. He's like, hey, uh, I know this Jewish lawyer, you tell him about that ticket, you'll never hear about it again. Pay him a hundred bucks, it's gone. Swear to God, just do it, and it's gone. I'm like, okay, you weird man. So I did it, I paid this lawyer a hundred bucks, and I thought, I'm never gonna see this ticket again. My dad calls me, and he's like, yeah, that lawyer lost the case, didn't tell you, and if you don't pay that ticket in two days, you're gonna owe another $500 on top of the 500 bucks you already owe. Now I'm mad. I'm going through the store, and I'm like, Nabisco's, Oreo, graham cracker. Ah!" Like, I'm I'm so angry. I've never been that mad, ever. I'm just, like, so angry. My blood is boiling. I'm like, Lord, why would you curse me? Why? Just let me die in this Albertsons. And I come outside the store, and I see this girl, and she's crying. She works at Albertsons. She's got the apron on. Her face is streamed with mascara. And I look at her, and God's like, her. And I'm like, absolutely not. I am having a moment. This is my time, Lord. 
I was so mad. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to talk to her. And he's like, no, I've called you to do this. I've called, remember, you, you submitted yourself to me. You said, here, I'm going to send me. So I went to her, and I was like, hey, you. And she looks up, and she's like, what? Her face is just streaming with makeup and tears. And I'm like, listen, you're having a bad day, right? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, yeah, me too. But guess what? God loves you so much, and he's got a plan for you, and he died for you, and he just wants you to know today that he loves you, and he sent me to tell you. She, no joke. She starts bawling. She's oh, and I'm like, See what you did, Lord. <laughs> she gets up. She gives me a giant bear hug, and she says, I'm a Christian, and I haven't been to church in six months. I haven't talked to any Christians in six months, and I've been so depressed and so sad, and I've been praying and asking God to send someone to me. Gosh, I mean, I can't make that stuff up. The Lord is so great. I remember there was another time where I was out cruising and I got kind of confident in myself with this whole witnessing thing because I felt like a stud at this point I'm like yeah you know I'm witnessing to people and God's doing things and I'm his chosen one now ha 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 being a punk so God humbled me really quick I, I went out and um, I was walking and I was listening to this message this sermon I'm preaching and, and on witnessing and the gospel and evangelism and I was like you know what Lord if you sent me someone today I would convert that man I would do it, Lord. <laughs> I look over and this guy jumps out of the bushes and he's like, hey. No joke. Literally, he came out of nowhere. This big old dude named Jorge. Just gangster, straight up gangster, long hair tattoos. And he goes, he goes, yo, what's up, S.A.? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm not built for this. He goes, hey, man, let me use your phone, homie. I'm like, oh, no. He's going to steal my iPhone. He gives me the ph- I give him the phone. He's calling his friends, and he's like, yo, you guys going to pick me up right now? I need to get out of here. Come on, get me out of here. And he's like, beep, 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 swearing. And like, his friends aren't going to pick him up. So he looks at me, and he goes, hey, can you drive me to the beach? And I'm like, I lied. I lied. I straight up lied, guys. This is my lie. This is my, my pastor lie. I was like, I would, but I actually just heard from my wife, and we're out of grapes, so I got to go pick up some grapes, bro. <laughs> no joke. So he looks at me, and he's like, whatever, fool, and he starts walking away. And the Lord's like, you're blowing it. You're missing your opportunity. You're missing it. And I'm like, oh, gosh. So I start going after him, and I'm like, hey, man. He's like, what do you want? And I I lied again. I lied for a second time. I was like, just got a text from my wife. She found some grapes in the fridge. We're good to go. Get in the car, bro. (laughs) So he gets in the car, and I'm driving him, and I'm like, so what's your story, man? He looks at me. He goes, man, if it weren't for graffiti, I would have been a mass murderer. (laughs) And I'm like, that's cool that you're telling this to a stranger driving you to the beach. This is great. This is going great, Lord. And we're, we're driving. And I start asking him more about his story, man. He's like, I just got out of prison. I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, no, it's happening. I'm going to die. But, I, no, I start talking to him, though, and, and I'm like, dude, what, what are you about, man? And he starts opening up, and he's like, man, let me tell you, I never could measure up to my mom's standards. She always had these super high standards for me, and I couldn't measure up. I couldn't be the boy that she wanted me to be, whether it was my schools, my relationship, my grades, my friends, the drugs, the alcohol, the parties. I could never be what she wanted me to be, and look where it got me, man, jail. I can't measure up. I'm just a failure. And the Lord was like, now. Now's your window. 
here it is, get in there. So I was like, you know what, man, I'm actually a pastor. He looked at me and he's like, no way. I was like, yeah. And you know, dude, I can't measure up. I actually fail every day. Like I mess up all the time. I make mistakes. It's called sin. And I started to explain to him how I can't measure up. I can't hit the standard. I always fail. But then I said, you know what? Jesus, man, Jesus actually, he hit that perfect standard. He was the perfect man. He was the perfect person. And because I follow him, when God looks at me, he sees perfection because he sees Jesus in me. And you can have that too. And he looked at me and he's like, dude, when I was in prison, I prayed that God would send someone to show me who he was. He's like, that's you, man. I was like, that's, I, just, I started tearing up, and he started tearing up, and he's like, I was the first guy in my group of friends to stop smoking weed, to stop doing crack, and all these other drugs, and he's like, I, I'm clean now, and, and I've been talking to God, and I've been telling him, show me the way, because I want to teach my friends what's right, and I prayed with that guy to accept Jesus that day, and I was just so blessed, because, you know, guys, here's the, here's the moral of the story, and all these stories, I'm Jonah, okay, I'm not the hero of these stories. I think you can tell. <laughs> I think I've made it pre- pretty clearly obvious that I didn't want to be involved in any of these miraculous things. I was constantly running and saying, God, not me, someone else, please. Please, not me, please, I don't want to do this. But God called me, and, I, and even though I was weak, even though I didn't want to do it, even though I resisted, when I eventually gave into the will of God and surrendered to what he wanted to do, he took over, and I was just blown away to see him work every single time. Guys, you can do this because God is with you. He's with you. I remember hearing the story of two kids who had a father, and the father was extremely busy on business all the time. He was a businessman, just so preoccupied with his empire, and he never had time for his kids. And I remember this story of just these two kids. Their dad, they wanted to spend time with him so badly, but every day he'd come straight home from work, go up to his upstairs office and close the door and keep working. And the kids would write notes to their dad and, and slip them out of the door and say, Daddy, please come out. Please come out, Dad. We want to be with you. But he never responded. Guys, that's not our Father in heaven. That's not our King. You don't have to slip him notes under the door. He wrote you a love letter called the Bible. He put you in this place full of people all around you who are here to show you the truth. He's the King who is with you. You know, something I was talking with um, David, uh, one of your guys' leaders, an old, old buddy of mine. I was talking to him today about something I think is really true. You grow up in the church, and you think, if I'm going to be really spiritual, I've got to be like the guys on stage, the worship leaders, the pastors. And if I'll never make it in the, in the church, I'll never make it as a follower of Jesus unless I'm like them. But guys, we're just humans. We're just people. There's nothing special about us. We're just responding to God's call in our life. You see, Christians think of this spiritual battle to go out and save people, to go out and change the world. We think of it as the pastors as the one on the front lines fighting the battles. But you know what? The role of a pastor is not actually the guy on the front lines. We're the equipper. What that means is in the battle, we're the guys standing by the door handing out the swords and the shields and the spears to the fighters. That's you guys. You're the church. You're called to be the next generation of disciples and go out and advance the kingdom of God. And if you feel like you can't do it, you can't, but he can in and through you if you only respond to his ability. 
not your responsibility, his ability. And you might feel like you're a failure. One of the things, one of the biggest reasons that we don't spread the word, one of the biggest reasons that we don't share the gospel is because we're afraid. It's because we're afraid of failing. Guys, it's not your responsibility to save everyone. You just deliver the message. And when you deliver the message, that seed is planted in hearts. I remember this one kid, man. He was just a poor kid. He, he, his name was Aaron, like me. Junior high kid. And he was abused growing up. He was violently beaten by guitar strings by family members. And he just was so troubled. And he just was so restless. And he hated his stepmom. And he hated his real mom. And he hated his dad. And got arrested for beating up his dad one time. I had to come over and talk to him. And I remember he was, I was talking to him one day. And he was crying in the back seat. And I was just like, dude you got to follow Jesus, but he didn't. He walked away. And me and the other counselors and pastors, we poured so much into him, but he walked away. We didn't see him for four years. And finally, he showed up one day. He's a senior in high school now. And he comes up to me, and he's like, he gives me a big hug, and he's like, Aaron, I was selling drugs, and I came to my room, and I was down on the ground in a pile of my own vomit, just debt, just like, what am I doing? Drugs and alcohol all over the room, and then everything that you and the other counselors said came back to me, and I remembered, I remembered what God was trying to do in my life, I came back, and now I'm serving at a church, and I'm helping people, and I'm following Jesus. Guys, it's not your responsibility. I kill myself as a youth pastor trying to save people so many times, trying to convert people, trying to get kids to follow Jesus, some of, your, some of your pastors and counselors here, their hearts are breaking for you on a regular basis because they just want to see you leave your sin, not because they just want to ruin your fun, but because they want to see you be the best you can possibly be for the kingdom. And if you're here today, and if you're, whether you're a pastor or a counselor or just a student, and you've got people in your life you want to see God change, it's not your responsibility to save them. You plant the seed, and you watch what God does. And sometimes it takes years. Here's the last thing I want to share with you guys. Can I tell one more story? Is that okay? Yeah? Okay. One last story and then I'm done. So my students, my junior high students, it got to the point with my junior high students where we started going out and sharing the gospel on a regular basis together as a youth group. We went out on Saturdays once a month and we would hit the streets and tell people about Jesus. Life-changing to see what God did. I remember this one time we had this great big plan we were going to make this YouTube video that was going to be a gospel presentation. So it was my students, and we wrote the script, and it was them telling the story of Jesus. And we put this really cool track by Futures of Forestry behind it, and it was super cool. And it was like our students saying, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to know about Jesus? Here's sin. Here's redemption. Here's rescuing. Here's Jesus. It was, it was so awesome. And we put it on DVDs, on like 100 DVDs, and we went to a public school. And we stood on the sidewalk, and we were like, we're going to pass out these DVDs to people, and they're going to know Jesus. What happened next was shocking to my students. They got rejected hardcore. People came out of that school, 
They're like, what is this? Like, what is this? Like, is, they're like, what is this DVD? Is this porn? Like, what the heck is this? And they, they broke it in half. They threw it at us. Uh, one kid got, like, nicked in the neck by a flying DVD. And he's bleeding all over the place. Uh, they were cussing us out. They were like, get out of here. We don't want anything to do with you. My kids were heartbroken. They're like, we put all this effort in us, and they rejected us. We failed. We failed, Pastor Aaron. And I looked at them, and I said, you didn't fail. Because you did what God called you to do. Jesus actually said that we'd be persecuted if we followed him. If we're not being persecuted, there's probably something wrong with our life. If everything's comfortable and cozy for us as Christians, then we're not doing our jobs. And I said, you know what? You haven't failed. Because we only fail if we don't share the gospel. You can't fail sharing the gospel. Do you realize that? If you go out and you tell people about Jesus and they reject you and they spit in your face and you're, you lose your popularity at school and you lose your friends, but you showed them the love of Christ, you didn't fail. We only fail if we don't go. And here was, here's what was awesome. We noticed something when we went to the skate park down by the school. We saw skaters skating and doing tricks, holding on to those DVDs. They would have thrown them away if they wanted to. They had them. And we found out later, a few weeks later, that about four kids locally gave their life to Jesus through that. And somehow, through the video being online, three kids in Australia heard about the Lord, which was so cool. Guys, the Lord has a vision for you and a plan for you. And there's three voices in your head. You've got the voice of yourself saying, you can't do it, you're not good enough. All your doubts and discouragements. Then you've got the voice of Satan whispering to you, saying, you're not good enough. You stink. You're a sinner. Listen to the voice of Jesus. I love you. I'm the king. You're my kids. We're part of the kingdom. Let's go out and advance this thing. Let's take back ground for the enemy. You can't fail because I'm with you. You can't die because you've got a bulletproof soul. I'm with you, and I love you, and I'm here for you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much for what you've done. We thank you so much for who you are. And we just ask, God, that you would fill us with your spirit tonight as we submit and surrender to you. God, this week we've learned about your kingdom. We've learned that heaven is not just some distant, fluffy cloud land, but it is actually a reality that we live into, a kingdom you're building now here on earth that we will finally see one day as you renew the world with the new heaven and the new earth, a world with perfection. God, we're living for that day. We're longing for that day where we can run through the fields with you, Jesus, where we can cliff dive with you, Jesus, where we can swim in the oceans of your love, Jesus. We're waiting for that day, but we're not only waiting, we're living it, God. We're working for you. God, there's people here tonight who are not living for you. They're living that comfy, cozy Christianity. Thanks for getting me out of hell, Jesus. I'll see you one day later. God, help them to wake up to the reality that you're here right now and you just want them to surrender and submit their lives because, Lord, your burden is light because you carried the cross up the hill. You carried our sin on your back. God, what you call us to is a world of light and freedom and love. If there's anyone here tonight, Lord, who just feels like they don't want to follow you because that's a narrow gate, help them to see that that narrow gate opens up to a wider world than they could possibly imagine. 
I pray, God, that tonight during this worship, you would free people from the chains of their own denial, the chains of their own ignorance of your love. Free them, Lord, and then bring them into the kingdom and show them what life as a passionate radical on fire Christ follower looks like. We can knit this night to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. We're going to take some time to <clears throat> respond in worship. And um, I'm going to ask if it's all at all possible, you can just kind of wait a second. I know some of you might have to use the restroom or whatever, but let's just take a moment.